0: hey welcome back to Optimus vaccine i'm steve and joining me this week uh it's jack eason jack how you doing oh it was a pleasure to
1: be here steve uh glad we're, we're back on track watching the classics Um, you know, we had a little detour into beat Takeshi and his, you know, kind of middling lowbrow kind of efforts at cinema, but I think we can all agree this week we
0: are back on form looking at the important stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. That's (laughs) what we do. That's what we do. Uh, Adam Myros, also here. You notice how I didn't forget to introduce anyone this week?
2: Yeah, fair, fair. It's best that you introduce Jack first so we don't get off on some tangent, uh... Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe you don't have to introduce this at all. We've really lost kind of the the rotation Yeah, there's well. no rotation. It's rotations. just, true. It is just <laughs> us
1: 3 for now. We need we need new blood. We need to do like a, yeah. a we need to do like a, a Twitter poll to like recruit new people. Like someone can win a place in the Optimism vaccine
0: roster. Surely that would be a desirable <laughs> yeah. prize that people would put themselves forward oh. for. That's right. Folks, it's the thing no one's asking for. Spending time with us. Oh, my gosh. Myros, uh, Pride Parade was this weekend. Where were you? Uh, boy, that's a loaded
2: question. I don't know. <laughs> Steve, <laughs> I feel like I, I'm just going to say I was I was at home and didn't really realize it was occurring. And, wow. Uh, that, that, wow. That, I don't know if Pride yeah.
1: happened in Chicago yet, because usually whenever it does, I, you know, just see people all over the place in rainbow flags, just walking around, going home you know you just yeah. you just see them everywhere and i haven't seen that so i don't know if it's happened here yet
0: no uh so i think because milwaukee and chicago are so close milwaukee is always like the first uh oh weekend. smart yeah and then chicago uh-huh.
1: is
2: see, the last one i'm I'm sure it also wasn't occurring in ann arbor and that's why i, I didn't attend you, you what do you expect me to be beholden to your milwaukee schedule yeah this, well, i i just thought you I'm were an care. ally
0: apparently not uh let me tell you that was a great parade uh, all the allies were out in full force there was uh four banks uh Coles, uh h&m was in the parade the cops you know always good the cops, cops always you've convinced friends me. of the
1: lgbt community uh take yeah. take a break I, for know. the calls every so often really get things going
0: I, I think it's nice because, you know, they walk in the parade and they wave and some dipshits cheer for them. And then uh, you get to see the people who are probably going to try and beat up your friends in a couple of weeks. So, yeah, it's fine.
2: Uh, so you're telling me not only can I experience the joy of standing on a fucking street corner while loud noises occur in the middle of the street, I can also yeah. uh, be, uh, you know, face a barrage of uh, bizarre corporate interests as well. Sign mm-hmm. me up.
0: Yeah. Be uh be pretty homophobic of you not to be interested, but uh, it, was, it was a yeah. good time. It was a good time.
2: Okay, okay. I'm, I'm, I'll take your word for it. I don't live in Milwaukee, so unfortunately I, I missed out there.
0: <laughs> well, you got to mark your calendar for the Ann Arbor one. I think the Ann Arbor one's bullshit. It's in like August or something. That's not even the, the right month. You guys really fucked that up. <laughs> well, no one lives here now. <laughs> no, that's true. That's it's true. like fucking deserted. Completely fair. Completely fair. Well, shit. Um, I mean, we're not talking about Adam Myros's extreme homophobia uh, this week. We're actually talking about uh, Duke some... <laughs> Mitchell's extreme homophobia. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say a guy who probably didn't have the be- the best opinion of the LGBTQ community. Uh, yeah. So let's talk about Gone with the Pope. Uh, the the theme. You're gonna notice this. Uh, uh, we tried to pull together a slate of movies that were lost and then found, but not completed and re- reconstructed to varying degrees of quality. <laughs> and let me tell you, I am so glad, so, so glad that about, I guess it must be 13 years ago now, someone dug up Gone with the Pope, which was Duke Mitchell's movie that he finished before he died, but uh he finished shooting it, but he wasn't able to edit it and uh unfortunately passed away. And then it was uh it was dug up by the guys that I think Grindhouse releasing, which is great too, because in a lot of ways, Gone with the Pope is it was kind of like a tryout for editing uh the other side of the wind. So uh yeah, so what what a great place to start. Now, if you don't know who Duke Mitchell is, I actually, I wanted to do a whole Duke Mitchell episode, but I I guess that dream has been shattered. Uh, Duke Mitchell was, he was like the hack version of Dean Martin. So uh, Martin and Lewis, 1950s, huge, absolutely huge. Just like the two biggest entertainers in the United States. And so obviously if you have, big entertainers you got to have your knockoff and so we had duke mitchell and sammy petrillo and duke mitchell was fake dean martin sammy petrillo was fake jerry lewis and so they, they were always kind of on the periphery of of celebrity but never quite breaking through and a, and a surly man like duke mitchell i think that that bothered him uh so he he was just almost almost something and he, he did branch out. He did, he did a little bit of film work before he, he ended up making a movie called Massacre Mafia Style. Uh, he was in a movie with Sammy Petrillo co- called Bella Lugosi Meets a Brooklyn Gorilla, which I would highly recommend. The Gold Ninja video, put that one out. So if you're interested, you check that out. And uh, also, another fun thing, Myros, you probably like this. Um, there was an episode of The Flintstones where Fred Flintstone had a hit single, like a hit song. Do you recall this? No, I did not. see it
2: on the IMDB and I assumed it, it must be song related. Cause I'm like, why the fuck would a random
0: guy voice Fred Flintstone for one yep. episode? Exactly. So that was Duke Mitchell. And he actually, uh, cause he, he recorded music, you know, he really did the whole Dean Martin shtick. And so he did that Fred Flintstone song. Uh, And then something magical happened. Uh, Duke Mitchell saw The Godfather. And he said, you know, this movie is a big pile of steaming shit. As one does, right? And (laughs) the reason he thought it was a big pile of steaming shit was because it was not an accurate portrayal of the Italian mafia. And so he made a movie called Massacre Mafia Style. Uh, which is it's it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. Um To be to
1: be fair, he <laughs> made a movie called Like Father Like Son, which is mm-hmm. a you know, I mean it's actually it's it's an interesting movie. And then I think later on, I'm not sure if Grindhouse retitled but someone retitled it Massacre <laughs> Mafia Style, because I'm pretty sure no one was queuing yeah. up for Like Father Like Son.
0: Yeah, this doesn't work that way. Uh, but yeah, it's um it's good. It's <laughs> Uh, is it better than The Godfather? No, like. <laughs> slightly different tone. A lot, a lot more uh, kind of
1: like jokey Italian music and in, in uh, masquer mm-hmm. mafia so A lot more kind of like
0: bawdy sing along classics and songs of literally about spaghetti. Um, yeah, you know I-, I think some people get mad when you mock the Italians, but Duke Mitchell is kind of doing a, a good enough job just mocking them himself as one. So, uh, shout out to Duke for that one. Anyways, it's hyper violent. It's uh weirdly racist and extreme bursts that just kind of pop up out of nowhere. Uh, it's highly entertaining. Is it an accurate portrayal of mob life? I I don't know. Who am I to say? But would you believe it was not the commercial success that Duke thought it would be? And I, I think even to this day it's it's pretty underseen, which is a shame. Uh, about 10 years ago, someone decided to play it at the Times Cinema in Milwaukee. Uh, and if you're if you're a Milwaukee resident, or if you're not, this was before the Times was renovated, so it was uh, covered in mice. And uh, they did a showing of Masker Mafia style, and there was exactly three people there. <laughs> and you were one, one was of me. them? <laughs> yep. One was me, <laughs> and the other two were the guys that I'm pretty sure programmed it that night. Similar to my experience <laughs> when I saw the Greasy Strangler, honestly. It was like... <laughs> Not a lot of people showing up for the classics. Anyway, uh, Duke decided to take, decided to take another shot at this, and he wanted to continue because you know, I mean, the Godfather. There's there's two Godfathers in the 1970s, and he he had to get his in. He had to get his his sort of pseudo sequel to Massacre Mafia style, and that's where we get to Gone with the Pope, which, as I said before, uh, was shot and never edited together, which is unfortunate. And what we have here is—I I don't know—it's—it's it's very similar to *Massacre Mafia* style, but it's a little more refined. And I kind of wonder how much of that is Duke Mitchell, and how much of it is just having a very skilled professional editor kind of placing this all together. Uh, so. Yeah, I think definitely Bob Murowski, who was the
1: the editor who who put this together. I think he he definitely shined it up, and it, like it's it's got a better pacing. It's got a much better kind of a. The, the seams are much less apparent in Gone with the Pope, even, even when he's rescued, even though there's, like, clearly rescuing a footage. There's a really odd sequence early on where it's, like, all hushed close-ups of Duke in prison as he's about to get out. And, like, it's very clear, I think they're zooming in on frames, there's, like, weird edge enhancement elements in the, the image. Like, they're clearly not working with pristine elements. But even that stuff aside, there's, like... It, it just—it's got a cool cutting. It's got slow motion. It's—it's it's just a much more seamless kind of a film experience. I think it's a better film probably than *Massacre Mafia Style* too. I think it's a more—you know—from Duke's perspective, I think it, it's a more ambitious and interesting film project. Although mm-hmm. *Massacre Mafia Style* is—is kind of interesting too because it, it is—it's a film about the mafia, but it is—it also seems to be kind of wrestling with Italian American identity, but in in very peculiar. Kind of way, um, it, you know. I guess it's kind of got that in common with other mob movies, but it's very much filtered through uh, Duke Mitchell's own personal hang-ups and grievances. I think um, this is uh, kind of strange. This is, is like his his lonely man against the Catholic Church kind of thing. This is almost like a Paul Schrader movie filtered through something else. Uh, it's it's very peculiar, and of course, the plot of this is essentially a uh, uh, Italian American criminal he's released from prison and he um he's trying to get re-established he's given an offer to you know take a couple like kill a couple of people for money from the mob you know get back in on that front and he comes up with this brilliant idea that if he were to kidnap the pope and then ask for a dollar from every catholic on earth it would be a huge sum of money. In fact, it turns out to be such a huge sum of money, he pulls it back to just 50 cents from every Catholic. Yeah, he walks it back. Yeah, he just he just, he just walks <laughs> it back. He's like, I don't need that much. Just just 50 cents from every Catholic on Earth. And that's that's the, the plot. Essentially, he's going to go and it's like a heist movie, but the, the bullion is the Pope, uh, which mm-hmm. is ambitious, to say the least. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty snappy little movie. It's pretty good.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, oh, go ahead. the Sorry. weird thing is like they just don't introduce like the heist element like you don't have like halfway through this movie i'm like why the fuck's does wh- the pope have to do with it <laughs> yeah where's <laughs> like, the
0: fucking pope like, and the first time you see yeah, this movie that's the only thing running through your head for like the first 30 yeah
2: right yeah it's not like he's planning this fucking heist it's just like he's like well i guess we're going on a boat trip and then all of a sudden he's like we're kidnapping the pope he had to get like, the guy comes on out the of boat fucking nowhere. yeah i mean it t- oh yeah
1: To be fair to the Duke Mitchell aesthetic, I mean, he's very much into, like, even in this first movie, he's very much into, like, the bloodbath, the hit. He's not really interested in the logistics of how it goes down. Like, every single thing in this movie, almost honestly harking back to Takeshi Kitano from last week, um... Like people just like every single like mob hit pretty much just involves the guys being like knocking on the door and being let in and then shooting everyone. Uh, the Pope <laughs> he pretty much he meets with another priest and he puts on a fake mustache and a dog collar, you know, priest collar, and and he just goes uh, like, hey, I'm I'm a priest. I'd like to meet the Pope. And this priest is like, yeah, sure, okay, yeah, that's you're a priest. I'm a priest. This is the it's Vatican totally like what else would we do? And he just go. He just walks into room with the Pope and he just like sticks a gun and it's like come on put this other jacket on we're we're hustling you out of here
0: no yeah it's it's kind of (laughs) funny because and and this is pure duke mitchell to your point duke loves violence you know uh one of his big hang-ups with the godfather was in his mind it was not violent enough and which is funny because it's pretty violent it's it's, (laughs) his yeah Yeah. sonny corleone does not go down in a scene that most people are like it could have gone further (laughs) <laughs> so when, you, when you're watching Gone with the Pope the whole reason that it has this bizarro like pace and tempo and, and script to it is because Duke Mitchell gets out of jail and anyone else writing this movie will go okay Gone with the Pope this whole like everybody every Catholic has to give me a dollar or fifty cents uh, so he would go from jail basically directly to that like that's that's the main plot that's the A plot But instead, we start with the B plot here, which is Duke's like, oh, man, if I work on this Pope heist thing, there's not enough like me banging chicks and shooting people. Therefore, (laughs) for some reason, I get out of jail and I have to murder seven people. And then he just gets out of boat because I, I think his reasoning is just like when you're on a boat, no one can do anything to you except those maritime law fucks. And
1: there's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of detail. Like he Duke Mitchell, yeah. very detail oriented in his
0: plot, <laughs> and, and much like a, a drifting boat, he finds himself. <laughs> Near the Vatican, it this all it, it all sort of develops from there.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, these guys are some master fucking mariners, too. Like, who the fuck's going to plot a trip like this? It's like fucking Magellan is on this yacht or something. Yeah, yeah no, like,
1: I mean, like, yeah, yeah, I mean gonna... they, they pretty much go, like, all the way from, from the west coast of America through the Panama Canal through to... Uh, like through through to Italy on like a three person like little tiny yacht like it's it's yeah.
2: mm-hmm. i mean, you know that's hard to imagine recommending that to anyone who's not a professional seaman <laughs> <Stephen. laughs> <No, that's>,
1: it <laughs> would be risky venture yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, it's 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 funny because I mean, it it's pretty it's pretty watchable. Like even even as it is meandering at the first part, and I mean, it's kind of bringing in his relation with this other guy he calls in to help him to because he doesn't trust the mob who have asked him to do the hit. You know, he's which I guess is kind of the underscoring of of part of his character is that you know he's kind of like he wants back in, but he realizes maybe it's not enough. He's got to come up with his own plan. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it, it's I think also part of this is why. The last act of the film really works because, like I say, he kidnaps the Pope and then, yeah, like he successfully kidnaps the Pope. Has the Pope in a boat and ventures back out into the maritime waters where the police can't do anything. You know, if you get the police, if you get the Pope mm-hmm. out in international waters, you own the Pope. That's it. You know, There's nothing. Exactly. Nothing he can do. That's any lawyer will tell you. This is how that works. But um, he, he kidnaps him and then he just he really, he has like a crisis of faith almost you know he's he's a, a staunch atheist effectively he thinks the catholic church has failed for you you know he, he literally gets a scene where he basically just reads the riot act to the pope about how they keep all the you know mm-hmm. they, they sit in gold chairs in their art galleries meanwhile there's poor people everywhere you know it's disgraceful and it's uh not incorrect he doesn't even have to bring up the whole <laughs> decades of sexual abuse which i guess in 1974 maybe was or 76 whenever this was made was like less readily apparent well, to the, the the public you
0: know he doesn't even have to bring that up he's he's got a mm-hmm. whole laundry list of other shitty things the catholic church well, has done jack jack i mean the, yeah the, the the sexual abuse was was less public in the 1970s but uh Duke Mitchell's characters, they seem to be a fan of a uh, little sexual abuse themselves. So but, that's, yeah, you know. we,
1: there are, there are some asides we'll get to certainly, but, but I say <laughs> the, the end result is essentially that, you know, he, he has this crisis with the Pope, and he realized the Pope is a good man and his, his fellow crew have faith. And he just sort of realizes that, you know, to kidnap the Pope is like, it's wrong. It's not going to help. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it, but it actually comes as like a surprisingly strong, dramatic turn To me, like it, and it kind of comes out of left field, which is maybe, maybe a writing issue, but also kind of an interesting effect. Um, and it and it turns into really kind of a man's crisis of faith and an Italian American's crisis of faith, which you know is maybe its own version of the Catholic dilemma. It's it's Mm -hmm. more interesting than you might think going in, where we're like, especially after an escapade where he just he and his friend kind of have sex with a fat girl kind of i don't know what that whole scene i don't really understand it's very weird what was happening there. i don't there.
0: understand duke duke mitchell's entire relationship with sex it's, it's kind of <laughs> odd I, well, his I wife is in the first scenes. movie
1: his his wife is yeah. like uh, is is like an older woman in a wedding scene in the first movie while he hits on a much younger woman and then his multiple nude mm-hmm. scenes with this other woman which again feels feels like the Aaron Paul effect, you know? That like he he had his, uh-huh. his young sexy wife was in his movies until she got too old to be the sexy woman in his movies, and he just got another woman to be that. And uh, I think Duke Mitchell was maybe maybe kind of taking the Hollywood thing, you know, little license here to to hang out with other ladies.
0: Yeah, because like his two key sex scenes in Gone with the Pope are. It's just it's like mortifying shit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> <It's> yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. Because the
2: lead up to that first one, I was like, "What the fuck are we watching here?" Yeah, Jesus Christ. like there's
0: there's this one where I, I like there's this this like black prostitute, and then he's uh, his friends like buy her, and it, then they get too drunk to have sex with her. So Duke's like, "Well, I'll do it," and then there's just this this moment. And this probably isn't even the weirdest moment or the worst moment, but there's this moment where she's standing naked in front of him and, and he's sitting down and he's just kind of staring at her vagina and he just goes, it's like a Brillo pad. Yeah. I don't know if it's the worst moment, but it is the
2: one, the one that we can repeat at the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Says, uh, and the
0: other things he says, I
2: can't yeah, say. and th- The whole time she's like, like I don't know. She, she's charmed by, by this. Report. Yeah, very, very it's confusing. Like, what do we do in here? I mean, script? it is it is funny because
1: I mean, I took a note when one of first, particularly from watching um, uh, Massacre Mafia style, is is that you know, um, like mob movies tend to be they they contain a lot of racism because the mob was probably still is in whatever form it still exists extremely racist it's an extremely conservative Mm -hmm. interior kind of grouping they don't like outsiders and they don't like you know power struggles with other groups they're you know they're basically like an ethno-nationalist group so they don't like other groups it's kind of race is a huge part of all that all those movies from the Godfather to Goodfellas to the Sopranos and every other mob movie captures that racism or depicts that racism. Duke Mitchell seems to depict the racism, but also kind of feels like maybe he's kind of enjoying it a little too much. Like it feels like it's not just like Mm -hmm. the mob was racist. It's kind of like the mob was racist and it's pretty sweet that you got to say this stuff. Um, And it transfers over to this movie. (laughs) It is a little uncomfortable. To say the least, uh, and in the midst most
0: of- most mob movies perform racism. Duke Mitchell's living it. Yeah, yeah. I think there's serious it, yeah, questions,
1: certainly.
2: And then he, yeah, yeah it's especially strange because he then like later repudiates the the Pope for the lack of black faces <laughs> in the church. You know, and I'm like. Where, you, you know, Is this, this? <laughs> is this
1: his Paul Road to Damascus moment? I mean, like, maybe, maybe he's trying to like. This is the thing. I don't know. Maybe he's like, you know, he was very racist, and then he has this this moment of revelation on the boat. Maybe, but but so you would think he, he would emerge from the boat. yeah t- <laughs> <laughs> you know, but but I don't I was know. Gonna say
2: like you would think then like maybe he would emerge from from this boat trip like a changed man or something. But no, that that's what I I'm like oh yeah this it's gonna be like a a Saul Paul thing. But no, no, he just immediately goes back to shooting random people in the head. He does it, but he does it, yeah, he does it with 3.0. it with a, with a
1: meaning, a purpose in his heart. Now you know it's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, the Pope is a good man, Definitely. and and to be fair, the Pope decides to, even after his return, he's going to pay the ransom, but he's going to give it to the poor, 128 million dollars to the, all the poor of the world for whatever the fuck that's going to do, but anyway,
2: yeah. It's it's something more specific to that. He's like giving it to crippled right, children. Yeah, specific
1: to crippled, but all the crippled like, children of Tim's. the world.
2: Yeah, Yeah, he's that's giving right. it to Tiny Tims. Um I don't know this like I didn't look up anything about this movie I didn't even read the description so I I was like I I don't know like 30 minutes in I I didn't assume there was a literal Pope I'm like well this must be figurative like a mob boss is called the Pope or something and (laughs) this is it's just gonna be this fucking the mobs after him after this hit for whatever reason. But no, then then it just meanders into it. Yeah, the Pope is, is in this movie, guys. Yeah, <laughs> like, they, okay. they gotta do the early so, uh, stuff
1: first. Like, there's a great montage early on in the movie where uh, Duke Mitchell spends a bunch of time just feeding animals shit that they're not meant to eat, which I thought was really entertaining. See, is he's giving popcorn to fish, he's giving uh, candy floss to, uh, to to a horse, and I'm just like, yeah, what, what's yeah. going on? You don't... Stop that! They don't eat that. What the hell? Consulter the seagull. And this, like, yeah, yeah, it's just like a sustained <laughs> sequence. Like he planned it that way. Like his his ideal date is just shoving weird food down some animal's throat. Uh, but you know, it's it's played yeah. for for fun and
2: frolics. He, you know, he's he's getting down with the yeah. ladies. He's having a good but, time. But it's that, that setup is like. It's a plot of a movie, you know, where he has to kill these seven men, and eight, so he splits it off with his buddy, yeah. and they make this plan, and then the mob's after them to get their money back, because they're crooked, and that, that's mm-hmm. the plot of a movie, but instead it just, I don't know, that other guy just immediately goes away, well, thankfully, because the guy can't act at all, <laughs> and looks ridiculous, but... I think he was cast because he looks know. like Fredo. Like, I think he's supposed to be, like,
1: mm-hmm. like, like heavy-set John Cazal, but he, unlike Kazal, he
2: is not an actor at all. Uh, yeah, he ends up reading very, like, Tim and Eric, <laughs> which this production kind of gets in that direction for various reasons. Uh, yeah. Duke Mitchell being a, a prime example of that, which I think the biggest surprise was... For me to read that he died at age fifty-five, when it seems to me he must have been at least seventy-five when he made this.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. It's it's kind of amazing. Like <laughs> when you see Duke Fitchless, it's like, oh God, what he was—he was fucking like forty when he shot this. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> well, he
2: does smoke approximately seven thousand cigarettes. During the yeah, that's, true. that's yeah, awesome. yeah. I mean,
1: he's he was a nightclub singer by profession, so I'm pretty sure he was basically awake from like. 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. every single day, probably just drinking in
0: smoke-filled rooms all day. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, it probably works. But you I know. gotta say, though, you know, as as a person, uh, me, who does not take care of himself in any way, shape, or form, I kind of feel better when I see someone like a Duke Mitchell, and I go, well, at, at, least, at, at least I don't look like that. <laughs> you know, I don't think
1: anyone looks like Duke Fair. Mitchell yeah. anymore. I don't think you can look <laughs> no. like a 70s dude anymore. I think we, you know, it's something
0: something changed you know we're also running out of guys who have just always looked like they're 60 you know like what's the difference between wilford brimley and cocoon and wilford brimley doing like a life insurance diabetes whatever commercial in 2010 and the answer is nothing it's it's the same man like end to end Uh, i wonder are we running out of these guys or is hollywood just not interested
2: in these guys so we don't see them there's that too certainly
1: um you know I mean, yeah, we, we, Hollywood is, uh, yeah, I think we, we don't have any interesting faces in movies anymore. I think that's like, even the star, even the good looking people aren't interesting looking anymore, uh, which no. is, is kind of a shame. Um, but yeah, what, yeah, you know, what are you going to do? Get better? No, that's not what we do. Uh, we, we no. get worse continually and we settle for it and we have to, that's our job as consumers. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I thought you were talking about us as podcasters, but... Uh, same um, difference, uh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, God with the Pope, fucking great. Uh, Duke Mitchell, I, definitely oh. somebody should check out. I think, I think in, in the realm of, of exploitation, uh, criminally underseen. Uh, so we, we could touch on that last scene, because to me that was the
2: one part where I'm like, oh, I didn't finish filming this. <laughs> I was like, "What what's going on with that last scene exactly?"
0: <laughs> I don't mean, know.
2: I feel like Morosky could could rescue an awful lot, and then whatever the fuck was intended in that scene, I'm not sure if they managed to rescue it because it's it's very bizarre. Yeah, it's like you, uh,
1: yeah i it's like. Yeah, I was saying like I I don't know how much of it like was the film entirely shot. They did the, presumably. I think they must have had a script because I mean they had access to um to Mitchell's things which unlike another film we're going to discuss this episode like they so they presumably had guidance towards it but yeah I mean there's obviously mm. some elements that are like I was talking about like that early sequences it looks like whatever way the footage was maybe they lost it so maybe some of it degraded or couldn't be used or Morawski had uh, better ideas of how to put it together that kind of meant he had to work around the footage a little bit but yeah I mean it's pretty seamless mostly but there are a few points where you could you can sense you know there's kind of like a little bit of, a little bit of work being done to to, to stick it together.
2: Yeah, the soundtrack at times I thought was a little off.
1: Mm. Yeah, when it opens, I don't The one thing I liked is they give Michelangelo a credit for the titles because they just you know use some of his stuff from I think like the Sistine Chapel or whatever. Uh, I thought that was <laughs> kind. They just give him a title credit. I think most people wouldn't <laughs> it have done nice. that. So I think that's no, no. that's some, I don't know if that was Murawski or uh, Duke Mitchell, probably Duke Mitchell. It just feels like something very much he would do, you know, Italian American excellence. And we all know Michelangelo was obviously Italian American at heart. That just didn't have America yeah. yet.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Well, uh, I mean, yeah. He, I, even, I, even with the ending of this and, and how it, it kind of, you know, falls apart and feels like something's missing. I gotta say like. Uh, his approach to it because each of the movies we're going to talk about today, they ha- they have a different approach of how to reconstruct something like this, and I think he was he was doing his very best to stick to whatever Duke's vision was. Uh, and I mean, what 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 are you gonna do? Just uh, cut in some random like. 4K drone footage of some animals in a field. Myros, is that was that be your preferred? <laughs> no one would do that. That would be a ridiculous thing to oh, do. No, Steve. No, no, Who no, would no. dare? Who would dare?
2: Who? No one would do such a thing. Or would
0: they? <laughs> well, <laughs> what a wonderful transition. Let's talk about Grizzly Two: Revenge. Not the revenge. It's just revenge. Just um, general. I, I. I, I think this is actually the best movie I've ever seen. I'm not sure. This I'm, is, I'm still This is the
1: wild it. movie because the thing about like the other movies we're talking about here, it's like you know, they were rescued and restored, and to the most part they feel like they're, you know, they feel like, yeah, this is someone found like an almost complete movie and they put it together as best they could to make a complete movie. Grizzly 2, it's not a complete movie at all. They don't have there's not a movie here and then no. Forty years later, they got together to release the not complete movie they never had. You could have released this in nineteen eighty three. Like it's just it's just no. four scenes, <laughs> and that would be like it would be yeah. the same
0: thing. Why why do they wait thirty so, something years to do this? Here here's the difference. Let me tell you what the difference is. So, Gone with the Pope, and uh, we're also going to be talking about New York Ninja a little bit later. Uh, these are movies that were just lovingly reconstructed by professionals uh with a with a clear vision. I, I think with New York Ninja too, the guy who edited it together and, and that when we talk about it, it was way more incomplete than like a gone with the Pope. But uh they ended up giving him the credit of redirector. Yeah. <laughs> because of the way that it had to be like reconstructed. Grizzly 2 is not that. It is it, it feels cynical when you're watching it, but then it has this element to it where it's so shoddily constructed and and so threadbare and the way that they m- just drag it out into, into feature length, it sort of turns a corner into some absolutely psychotic outsider art <laughs> and it, it's it's really a sight to behold so the way that Grizzly 2 came together 37 years ago 1983, um, I guess 40 years ago now, uh, the production of Grizzly 2, it it just fell apart. Uh, One of the one of the producers like ran away with a bunch of money. Uh, They were having issues because they were shooting. They were shooting somewhere. They're shooting in Hungary.
1: And and I believe the Hungarian government also seized stuff because they didn't pay their
0: bills. The movie starts to fall apart. To the point where it just doesn't get finished. And Grizzly, the original Grizzly, was actually a big hit. As far as Jaws knockoffs go, uh, Grizzly did well. Uh, Famously with the tagline, the Jaws with paws. You can't go wrong with that. And so you would think that they would find a way to somehow put this back together. But no. So, Suzanne Nagy, one of the other producers... She waited for, uh, God, like, years and years and years just trying to get the rights to this movie because she felt that she had a duty to complete it, which is insane uh, because it's grisly, too. And then it gets to the point where she's finally able to wrestle away the rights, and she realizes, in her own words, she's like, it was almost a complete movie except for there was two problems. She said one, they were missing 17 minutes of footage, which that feels a little bit low to me. Yeah. Bullshit. Bull fucking shit. Yeah. More like (laughs) 70 minutes of footage. They were missing 17 minutes of footage, which included, um, the climax of the film, which is where this grizzly goes to this concert and kills a bunch of people. At I don't know fucking middle of the woods Coachella whatever the fuck it is, and that's, well, there's I mean, also like that love
2: plot that does not exist. Mm-hmm. This is like one scene where the daughter's like talking to a guy in a band, and he's he's like, "Well, you're just a fun time fling," and I'm like, "What
0: fun time fling? This is fucking not in the movie, goddamn all." Yeah, yeah it it doesn't make any sense. Uh, <laughs> and so it, it's it's really lovely the way that this comes together because her thought was, well, we lost all of this footage, this alleged 17 minutes, and on top of that, during the original production, one of the other problems they ran into is they had an animatronic grizzly bear, which at the time, the director deemed to be too silly. Uh, And I have no doubt that it probably did look ridiculous, but then considering (laughs) where we land 37 years later, (laughs) I gotta tell you, it couldn't have been this fucking silly. Uh, (laughs) so the solution that she came up with was she said that she purchased a bunch of clips just stock footage from the internet and she gave everything she had from the original grizzly two shoot and all the stock footage she was able to scrape together and she gave it to a quote professional film editor and he put this together I, I I don't know. Maybe he was like, uh, just kind of, you know, juicing up his resume here. Because, she hired him on Fiverr, I fucking think. Yeah, it, it seems to be the case. And what we get is Grizzly 2, The Revenge. And from the jump, nothing about this is functional in any way, shape, or form. From the I mean, the fact that like Charlie Sheen, George Clooney, and Laura Dern are all in this movie for about five minutes. And they're on the cover, and they're just off in five minutes. <laughs> and then we keep going. There's all kinds of things where I, I start to wonder, like what is happening with the audio? Like people are talking over each other. Uh, there's there's doubling. There's uh, I think Jack, you mentioned this earlier, but there's different takes where yeah, there's a, there's a guy a, will uh, there's line delivery
1: do a take. that's that's like uh, at one point uh, they say one character mentions that another character's brother is dead twice in the same scene within like literally within a minute of each other and i swear it's the same line reading like which yeah absolutely should not happen if an editor knows what's going on
0: (laughs) yeah and and this is this is the power of like a good editor versus a, a shitty editor because the other thing is is just just the rhythm of the film and and how the characters are introduced to us and 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 how they are edited together with other characters there's there's this guy and he is he's one of the park rangers or something. He looks fucking ridiculous. He looks like the wolfman but like mid transformation. And he's got a daughter, heavy finger quotes. He's refer- she's referred to as his daughter, but then there's this scene where he goes to visit her and it he like the way that like he greets her and kisses her, the way they walk around together all I could think was in the original script, were they like boyfriend and girlfriend or what the fuck is going on? <laughs> and there's all these things where nothing feels OK. Every single scene that you see, there's something that like it's just off. And it, it, Sometimes it's obvious and sometimes it's subtle. But the whole movie just just puts you on edge in a way that <laughs> I don't know, a better constructed film can't. grizzly 2 is pure magic there is nothing that exists like this (laughs) i mean well there are like jumps early too like and i don't know if
2: they're working around damaged footage or if it's just like complete editorial incompetence but there's like you know just like a single close-up of dialogue where there's like frame jumps and you're like what the fuck is happening (laughs) like it's Mm -hmm. it does everything it possibly can wrong it, and yeah, I suppose that does serve to un- unnerve you. But I mean, uh, yeah, it's doing the Goddard that's, that's,
1: thing, yeah. but uh, for for different reasons.
2: Just jump oh, yeah, cuts for, in with scenes with zero intent. Yeah, <laughs> it's not like repeated. It just happens like <laughs> twice very early in the film, where you're like, "What the fuck? I gotta rewind it. Did that just happen?" Like, yeah, yes, I mean, yes, it did. The
1: existential issue, I guess, with this film is just like, I mean, they're, it's, it's they're they're making a bear attack movie, and there's no bear. I mean, and there's, there's yeah. certainly no footage of a bear attacking anyone. So it, it just becomes this, like, weird... They've got, like, an uh, evil dead bear cam at one point, which, you know, yeah. is supposed to be, I guess, the closest thing they come to. You know, a bear POV shot. Um, Everything else is pretty much, like, cobbled together. Just, like, a shot of a bear and then someone screaming and running away. And a shot of a bear and then someone falling down dead somewhere. Like, there's to the point that the finale of this film literally i i actually blinked and missed the finale i had to rewind
0: i was like wait what happened how did this happen how do we get here which is another one of those classic (sighs) movies that we do for the podcast where it doesn't end it just stops yeah yeah (laughs) i mean the bear died and i was like wait why is the bear dead now and i rewound and
1: literally the the climax the action climax is a man climbing under something and that's that was yeah, the th-
2: electric fence I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: and I miss I missed the I figured, you know, in a, in another movie there'd be a little bit more happening there, but that's that's grizzly too. It is yeah, it's kind of like an interesting study in building cinematic meaning from absolutely like the barest amount of images and resources. Like which is again, it's just bizarre that they they re, you know, rebuild this movie all things, because there there's just not enough movie here to do that in any traditional sense. And I mean, this is clearly just the most cynical of cash-ins, because it's like traded on like George Clooney, Laura Dern, um, you know, they're in this movie, Charlie Sheen, and like you say, Steve, they're in it for like four minutes. Um Mm-hmm. And I
2: mean it's oddly c- all in the exact same scene. Yes. What are the chances you cast three future stars for one throwaway scene <laughs> in your movie?
1: Yeah, it's kinda of, kind of an amazing, kind of an amazing gathering
0: there. Yeah. Um the whole cast is great. I mean there's I, you got George Clooney, Laura Dern, Charlie Sheen, uh, Louise Fletcher john reese davies come on there's all kinds sexy of sexy
1: outdoorsman here. john reese davies absolutely life what is absolutely life-changing really
0: he he's he's dressed like a fucking like french indian war like trapper I mean, guy. he's basically <laughs> wilford
1: brimley in in hard target but like the swarthy yeah. younger sexy version yeah and he's like french canadian yeah. he he absolutely he's just a cartoon it's, it's kind of an amazing yeah, construction of a, of a character. But yeah, I mean, th- this movie right. is just obviously going to piss off anyone who goes into it expecting a coherent movie. But, you know, they'll see, like, oh, George Clooney was in this. Young George Clooney? Fascinating. And they'll put it on and it will just. He's dead. And then the rest of the movie is just incomprehensible mess and Hung- Hungarian folk rock. Or,
2: you know, it's like. Well, you, know, you see. Uh, that cynicism bleeds into the weird edit too because that fucking that, that scene with George Clooney Laura Dern and Charlie Sheen is it's just the start of the movie now and it's not obviously not supposed to be the start of the no. movie and they just fucking slap it up front what, which makes Let's you wonder do they have as much
1: as we possibly can like, I'm curious do they have more footage of them? yeah because it opens with them walking and you know Laura Dern's characters complaining about this and that and they're kind of like making fun of her and kind of you know playful like kind of like oh you know we're friends and it does make you wonder if maybe there was more footage that they couldn't justify putting in because they just wanted this as like an (laughs) intro attack which would be the hilarious concept of restoring a film like this of which basically the only value is the actor's performances and then chopping it up because it doesn't quite fit with you know because it would complicate making the most straightforward shitty creature flick. And, I, you know, I do wonder yeah. if that possibly happened here.
2: Man, I, I wish this movie actually existed, because I, I feel like I would love it. You got John Reese davies doing this, and then you've got uh, the fucking grizzly bear attacking like a giant new wave concert. <laughs> it seems like a hell of a lot of fun, unfortunately they did and film i mean some
1: of some of the some of the performance in this i mean what you can gather are is actually pretty pretty good i mean there's this kind of like some really fun kind of like side characters and little bits and pieces but it, yeah i mean it's just yeah. it's mm-hmm. not it's not there <laughs> like the movie the yeah, movie it's, just kind of like movie, skids through everything
0: yeah it, it's a movie in the loosest sense of the word like it, it, it fits the definition but it really does it feels more like just just a Collage of different images that just happen to, I don't know, weave together somehow. It's a fucking mess. And it's like it's almost and, like one of those
1: those uh, movies you watch that's like, you know, the location revisiting the locations because it just like cuts back and forth mm-hmm. between 80s footage and 2020 drone footage in a way that's absolutely just like nauseatingly disconcerting. But like the it only other place so you'll see jarring. that yeah, it's it's <laughs> yeah. it's wild. And the only other place you would see that is like in a, you know, a behind the scenes kind of like movie no one else Mm. would ever do this and they make no attempt to like mash up they don't like grunge up the new (laughs) footage or anything no it's pristine digital drone footage cut in with like 1980s on the fly in a forest
0: movie you know it's it's and it it seems like it's from like 20 different sources so like color grading's not the same the like it, it jumps between like really crisp like 4k stuff to some weird blurry probably older digital stuff it's a fucking disaster and and every time they cut between like the the 83 footage and this newer footage it's like you it gives you whiplash it's like imagine every edit in a film was uh someone taking your face and smashing it through a fucking glass table that's what it feels (laughs) like to watch this yeah,
2: Which I thought I was bad, losing my but fucking exhilarating. mind. Yeah, <laughs> it's I, uh, uh, like once it got into the concert, like full bore. I thought I was just losing my goddamn mind. Like the yeah. the sheer amount of bullshit that they cut into this concert is just unfathomable. Like there's old footage that's clearly not shot for the film. I, uh, there's like again, you you would think if you're going to source something, you would probably try and get like English language, but no I, I think jack is is guessing it's Hungarian based on the shooting locations, but it's not like a live performance. it looks like something you'd see on m t v as like an early music video of a live performance mm-hmm. uh, and then there is some live performance of like this fake uh banana Rama or something and and <laughs> yeah I, there's, I, I, seemed- hey, there's also there's also a point where they cut into like some like two thousand fifteen like a folk duo uh, who are singing, singing like this fucking thing that doesn't make any sense. That was around the time when I, I
1: thought the I was actually hallucinating. When it's like, this is yeah. like not mm-hmm. period footage, this is new, and it's in English, but it feels like it's still from Europe, but why, like, like, if you're not married to the original footage, why would you still be mining it from there if you're like looking for that american audience it just absolutely bewildering
2: decisions yeah and that footage isn't shot it's not even like live it's not concert yeah, it's footage. a music it's video just like in like a black box theater is what it looks like mm-hmm. it's just it's goddamn madness and also the crowd shots uh my god the crowd shots some of them there's no reason to include such as the vehicle stuff doesn't play any role in it there's no reason to put that in other than mm-hmm. to just make everyone who's watching it furious uh and then there's like they obviously have crowd shots uh, not really reacting to the bear's presence at all but there's 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 shots of this crowd and yet they still insist on throwing in things like a Coachella girl's like covered in glow paint or something and you're like what yeah. the fuck
0: is happening and it's it's just like it's like a back and forth this this movie it it exists outside of time and space it, it, like when when they get to the concert It's literally establishing shot overhead drone footage, completely modern. Here are modern vehicles. And then it goes, it transitions from there into 1983 people walking into a festival, which that could have functioned as the exact same establishing shot. And then it's like, okay, now here is this new wave band playing cut to Coachella footage from 2017 or whatever. And it just, it ping pongs between these time periods and it's, it's fucking dizzying. I mean, it becomes and a, the music is insane. Yeah, it's like Eurovision.
1: Yeah, the music is insane, <laughs> and then also the score for the film is like this kind of ominous electron electronic blaring like foghorn thing, which is like completely incongruous mm-hmm. to the '80s footage that it plays over. For luxury I mean, it becomes apparent this movie is seventy-five minutes long, and five and a half minutes of that are the end credits. Those, you know, wonderfully slow end credits, like everybody gets an individual on screen credit just to like run the clock out. You know, it becomes apparent at a certain point that they are just grabbing stock footage to try and make this look like it's a movie. And uh, I guess it worked because, you know, we all watched
2: Grizzly, too. I just don't understand why. Like, just release the fucking thing as like a 40-minute, like, oh, sure. we found
0: this, we unearthed Earth.
2: You it. could you here. can have
0: that. There's a work print version that exists. You can yeah. just have that. I mean, there's sure. a serious well, question. That's, that's probably a lot better. Yeah, <laughs> there's
1: a serious question. This, this is still credited as uh, directed by Andre Zotz, who's the, the original director who died, I believe, in 2006. Yeah, a long a serious this question of whether or not that directed by credit really stands at this point i mean and he can't say wonder like obviously he shot the eighty stuff he directed it but the construction and the intercut with the amount of like noise cut in between whatever he shot i mean it seems unless a union is forcing it to be there i feel like it might be might be a little bit of an exaggeration to put him in that position i'm not sure he'd want to be in that position based on a based on the
2: final result. Yeah, well, the question yeah. becomes, is this a joke? Like, <laughs> is this a fucking joke? Because...
0: I don't believe it is. It seems I, very I sincere. The, yeah, the I, woman I, I... who held on to this, she's she owns, like, a very successful, uh, like, art gallery now, and she, like, this has just kind of been, like, stuck in the back of her head because it was such a failure, and she believed in the project so much at the time. I don't know why, but... Uh, but, yeah, I, I think she was sincere. and but uh, regardless this of is that so sincerity. much you could do.
2: <laughs> you could do things differently that would not be like prohibitively expensive. You could get someone to score the movie rather than use this fucking garbage from like a free use uh, library. You could source archive footage, you know that that by, isn't goddamn ridiculous, brand new four k fucking drone footage of bears playing which doesn't have jack shit to do with the movie to begin with uh, i don't know why we need a five minute cutaway to two bear cubs like high-fiving in the woods I, and like here here's a key element to this is fireworks you know it all it's all gonna climax this fireworks thing they don't they didn't use any footage of fireworks you think there's not stock footage of fucking fireworks you can buy I mean, nope, it, it's
1: impressive nope. that, like, honestly, films like *Manos: The Hands of Fate* uses documentary footage inserts more handily than this, and and you know, it's absolutely they they like you say they could have accessed this, they could have they could have done anything, they could have like messed up the the footage a little bit, the newer stuff, and just made some attempt to gather together, which makes me wonder... I mean, I don't know. I I think if there was any kind of like kind of like. Uh, intent to like really bring this back i i feel i don't know i feel like there's the cynicism at the heart of it to just create a film called grizzly 2 that you can you know throw on streaming and hopefully get a couple of people mm-hmm. to sit through an advert or two and collect a bit of revenue from it or or i mean the, the only other way that i could imagine being something else is just that this woman has knows so little about the filmmaking process that you know other people she called in kind of over-promised like things that couldn't be done and she just kind of like went along with them and this is what they came up you know other people came up with and once you've done it you might as well release it because i mean this is smacks of like to me of of an absolute just kind of like get a movie out of it like 75 minutes Mm -hmm. put a put a poster Uh together stick the famous people in this movie also by the way features an incredibly young timothy spall The, the british actor just shows up later on one of his very earliest <laughs> film roles just absolutely bonkers how ...who the casting person for this movie was. Uh well done to them.
2: Yeah, yeah. I see I'm gonna go I'm gonna throw my hat in the cynical ring with the with the producer. Like I feel like she's hanging on to this for all these years, not because she had any actual like passion or belief in Grizzly 2, but because she saw uh, you know, George Clooney, Laura Dern, Charlie Sheen, all pop. And she said, well, we could have made so much money off this. God damn it. Why don't I have the rights to it? Maybe I can cobble something together later. I think that's why it's stuck in her craw for decades,
0: because the cast got famous. Mm-hmm. Well, OK, so counterpoint. And this is just from, you know, the interviews that I've read. I don't see the cynicism with her. I, I think she just doesn't understand the filmmaking process at all. And she's been trying to get the rights to this to finish it. Literally, since it ate shit and tanked, and I, I don't even think it's a money play because she sold it to Gravitas Ventures, which I don't know. They they put out some like real shit. Yeah. Well, to like, be fair, who's who else is mid level documentary <laughs> Like, I, I mean, it's, somebody's interested. Like, you know, you, a Severin or a Vinegar cinema, somebody could have put this out. No, they wouldn't, they wouldn't wouldn't not this, this cut. They wouldn't. Yeah. No, wouldn't touch this thing. <laughs> Somebody would touch this thing, but she's not getting any money from this. She's already successful, so she doesn't need the money. Even if she was getting money, and because she was still trying to get this made, even before like a, a, a Laura Dern or a, or a whoever was was getting big, I think she just doesn't know what the fuck she's doing. Uh, because I mean, these clips are literally sourced from YouTube. If you watch the end credits that go on forever, it's like special thanks to all these YouTubers that let me use their bare footage is fucking crazy.
1: It's true. I mean, it, it is one step down from like, you know, thanks to everyone, you know, all the producers who are clearly just Kickstarter contributors. This is like, we yeah, didn't even yeah. get that. We just, we just asked borrow public domain stuff. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, if yeah. it's not cynical and it's not a joke, then it's just the most perplexing thing I've ever seen in my and life. And that's right? the camp that I'm in.
0: it is, yeah. And when I say this, if you're listening to this podcast, and we watch, we watch a lot of shit. We watch some good stuff. We watch a lot of shit, and I've seen a lot of things over the years. And I can tell you, there is absolutely nothing like Grizzly Two. It, it's doing things that movies don't do. They don't do them intentionally, but Grizzly's doing it. So, I, no, yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm it's,
2: in, I'm in a, a a student, you know, editing class right now. It's you know, it's a lot of people's first time. Editing footage, and let me tell you, this will get, get you a big <laughs> f fucking minus. Like this is not the <laughs> caliber of, of fucking intro student work. This is w- literally the worst editing I've ever seen in a film. Oh
1: yeah, I mean, special. it's clearly there is a problem. Like you, c- yeah. you wouldn't even accidentally stumble into what they're doing here. Like there's, there's clearly things that had to be circumnavigated, but then. Yeah, I mean, it's, it but is bewildering it's sure. when they throw extra stuff in where, like, there's new musical acts and there's... Also, not. they don't just have stock footage of bears. They throw in stock footage of deer, too, which really makes yeah, me feel yeah. like it's mm-hmm. like, okay, you're really playing for time, because who cares about deer in this forest? <laughs> they're not... a <laughs> yeah. Bear doesn't eat a deer. They don't put in any of that. It's just like, here's some other animals that exist.
2: Yeah, it's I, just going for this, like, unspoiled nature thing, which... Uh, I guess is a the theme of the movie barely, but I don't fucking know, <laughs> man. It's just, it's, I mean, did, did we mention it, again, the plot? Yeah, I understand there's, there's unique challenges to, to this editing project for sure,
0: but there is n- not any unique solutions. <laughs> presented. Yeah. When you're watching a movie and, and the first thing you think to yourself is man, you know, Bruno Mattei with Hell of the Living Dead actually did a lot better job using stock footage for seventy percent of the movie. <laughs> Honestly, Bruno <laughs> Mattei. Something I have never said. <laughs> pr- probably Bruno
1: Mattei would have been a good person to call for this. Honestly, yes, I think yes. I think he would have relished this and probably come up with something. And I, I mean, and I I feel Steve, you're maybe a little bit more enamored with this than than we are. But like, I think he would have mm-hmm. come up with something that would be more streamlined in a way more familiar to fans of grungy like no hope cinema cuz you know there's, there's bruno mattei mm-hmm. special um yeah, oh, yeah. but it's dead it's it's a different it's a different kind of grungy no hope cinema that's kind of <laughs> insane that just kind of makes you feel like you're hallucinating
2: <laughs> yeah I, I i'll give it its stir i steve is like really on board i'm i'm halfway there i mean it's kind of like if you're interested in the craft of of filmmaking and you want to see like what the fuck could go wrong and, or if you're just interested in like something that is so completely off the rails that it becomes a hallucinatory experience then
0: yeah, check out grizzly too. But yeah,
2: it's (laughs) good stuff.
0: Well, I I guess it, it makes sense to uh, sandwich something this wildly incompetent uh, between two movies that were certainly labors of love. The first one we started with, Going with the Pope, that was, I mean, it was basically done uh, by the time it was edited together. But the last movie we're going to talk about, New York Ninja, Vinegar Syndrome put this one out uh, a couple years ago, a year ago, two years ago. And this, it's got a great backstory too. So Vinegar Syndrome just bought up a collection of a defunct studio essentially just whatever they had in their warehouse vinegar syndrome took it and one of the things that was in this giant stockpile of films <clears throat> was uh, a movie that was shot in 1984 uh, by John Liu who is I, I would we call him like a C tier <laughs> D tier in in the uh, like 80s martial artist realm. Yeah,
1: he never popped, certainly. He, he had a few roles, yep. but yeah, in, in Hong Kong cinema, Taiwanese cinema, but yeah, he never, mm. never a star.
0: Yeah, never, never a big star. So he shoots this movie in New York in 1984. Uh, like all great filmmakers, it was, uh, you know, written by him, directed by him, starring him, and it's about how cool he is, which is important. And (laughs) what ended up happening was they just ran out of money and this thing got shelved and it just sat around. So then a person who was working at vinegar syndrome doing restoration was also a director. He, uh, his name's Curtis Spieler and he knew about these clips and he hadn't even watched it yet, but he's like, okay, I know this stuff exists. So he just pitched it to vinegar syndrome. He's like, we've got the reels. They're labeled. Let me edit it together and let's see what we got and just give me a budget to finish this. Vinegar Syndrome said, go ahead, do it. Now, we ran into a few problems though. Uh, First problem zero audio. There's no audio track. Everything was shot, but there was was no audio at all. So obviously, that's going to create some issues. Second problem he ran into is all of the film canisters were labeled and everything was in order. So, the first time he cut it together, he, it, it didn't make a lick of fucking sense. He followed the order that it was supposed to go in, and it just didn't make any sense. So, now he had this problem where he had to figure out dialogue, and he had to rearrange the clips within this movie so that it would have some semblage of a coherent story. And... Yeah, worth noting, there was just there's to, no original
1: <laughs> script. He, he had no access to a shooting script or anything. So there, there was no even yeah. idea of what the story was meant to be
0: originally, although obviously some exactly. some elements were obvious, but, you know. Yeah. So the, uh, the way he tried to piece it together was lip reading. He, he, so they, they did that to try and get just little bits and pieces of the plot. But also, it seems on the surface, especially when you're watching parts of it in the beginning, or I guess what's the beginning now, however he edited it. It just seems like a simple revenge story at first. Like, oh, his like, girlfriend gets stabbed to death and then he's got to go do cool ninja stuff. Uh, it, it takes a turn into something a lot more ridiculous later, but that was kind of the starting point. And then, because they didn't have the audio, and I, I think this is like a, a really smart, fun way to do this, they basically called every genre film star that you can think of from the 1980s And just brought them all in to do voices. So you've got Don the Dragon Wilson, you got Michael Berryman, you got Linnea Quigley, uh, I think Cynthia Rothrock, Mm -hmm. a bunch, a bunch of people. Uh, And and, oh, Ginger Lynn, we all love Ginger Lynn, come on. And so all these voices are like people you recognize, but they're attached to like (laughs) these, these just nobodies. And then they also had the band Voyager come in and do an original score, which is fantastic. So it's kind of like cobbled this, this whole thing together. And uh, before I, you know, defer to you guys here, one thing that's really interesting is allegedly, allegedly John Liu had cast Rudy Ray Moore in this movie of Dolomite fame. And something fell through at the last minute. So, We were unfortunately robbed of that. Uh, But what you have is, I I think, something pretty special. uh, Whether or not it completely works as a movie, just seeing how it's constructed, this is another one where there's really nothing else like it, because I can't think of a situation where someone's had to go through all this just to put together a goofball 80s action movie.
1: Yeah, it's a, the, the story behind this film, I think, is interesting. Uh, like, I think I, you read the film in two ways. There is there is the finished film itself, and then there's the, the story of everything they had to go through to make it. And I'm kind of torn a little bit on this one, because on the one hand, I appreciate they, they took some creative swings and they went for it to, to finish it. But it has this kind of like, I, I don't know, it, it has a little bit of this kind of like what I could call like an epic bacon quality to it you know where they're kind of like you know get in all these b-movie genre actors you know it's so bad it's good kind of like you know let's let's finish it out like this so it'll be like a movie you know you watch with your friends and you shout at the screen and you drink and I'm kind of like I'm not you know like the, the ironically bad movie movement I think has been like a major you know kind of like blight on cinema you know the whole sharknado pandora's box is just led to and you know kind of like the riff tracks bullshit it's like led to some of the mm-hmm. worst tendencies in contemporary cinema on, among among people but at the same time i also acknowledge i'm not sure there's any other way around it with finishing what they had and because because it is apparent yeah. when when you put the film together john lewis was he's a really great martial artist um he was kind of like known as like a super kicker you know, like he's really ornate kicking patterns, aerial kicks and stuff. Um, he's great in some like the. the I think the only Hong Kong or the, the only sort of Asian movie I think was shot in Taiwan actually. Um, movie that I've seen is uh, Invincible Armor, and it's it's wild and it's like it's him and Huang Zhang Li, who's another Taekwondo brilliant kicker guy. And it's it's not a great movie, but it's like a great example of how solid those movies coming out of Asia at that time, those martial arts movies could be like, it's just, it's like, it's literally a movie with like three fights for every scene that like even mentions a plot. Like it's just nonstop wall to wall action. John Lou's stuff is incredible in it. It's full of amazing physicality and stuff. Like the man is, he's, he's a great martial artist. None of that's in this movie, though, because John Liu is very clearly the only martial artist in this. If he'd gotten Rudy Ray Moore, it would have been really funny because Rudy Ray Moore is a brilliant martial artist in Rudy Ray Moore movies, (laughs) but (laughs) nowhere else. Uh, Everyone else in this movie, I mean, like in, in, you know, you film in Hong Kong or Taiwan, you have like this brilliant, you know, incredible depth of field for... um, you know, stunt men to bounce off of and work with who can make you look even better if you are good, you know? He has none of that in New York Ninja. Like, the stunt, there is no stunt team in this. It's basically, he's yeah. the only martial artist and everyone else is there to make it look like whenever they kick him that they're like, ow, like the fight choreography in this is hopeless. It really is. And it, it's just like, <laughs> it's because, And I don't I know, what else, what else you can that. you do? And so, so it's this kind of thing of like, they reconstructed the film And it's kind of like, okay, and they reconstruct the film. They kind of went to like, you know, uh, you know, ironic kind of like a little a little tinge of that. But at the same time, the movie was never going to be good. Like, it's not a good action movie. You're not like when you watch this, you're not like, Mm -hmm. man, you know, really good stuff. It's like you would want to watch Invincible Armor, which I really I kind of would love if someone brought that. I don't think it's available on disc in the West at all. Um, you know. We, we need that stuff uh, i I don't know it's it's kind of I, I I guess my thing is i think the the project to rebuild this movie is is admirable, but the movie itself is unfortunately just not as much
0: fun as I wished it was yeah yeah i don't I, I didn't really get as much uh, epic bacon from this as, as you did and i think mm. and, and again, this goes back to like background on the movie, but just you know hearing Curtis Spieler talk about it. And one of the hardest things for him because they didn't have a script, they didn't have audio. He was like, there there's parts of this movie that are serious. There are parts of this movie that are serious, but also inherently goofy just because of what's on screen. Mm -hmm. And there's also plenty of parts of the movie where John Lou is trying to be intentionally funny. So he was like trying to balance all of that, uh, and 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 maybe he, you know, there's probably a few times where he slips up, but I don't think this was like a project from the jump where the idea was to just make it all, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Isn't it silly? You know, he was. They were working with a with what they had. Yeah, it's Not yeah. like it's uh, Kung Pao Enter the Fish. No, no, which, I, I mean, I'm not. Great, yeah, but. I mean, I
1: <laughs> I am sympathetic to the cause because I'm not sure. And you're right. I mean, like literally, there's scenes where like John Lee winks at the camera. There's uh, there, you know, there's mm-hmm. there's elements of it that are clearly. Com- intend intended to be comedic um it's just a sort of a kind of like uh you know like this one scene where he just goes in and he, yeah like there's a scene where he, he there's a bunch of women tied up we'll get to the the inherent awkwardness of a movie of which a central plot point is kidnapping women for sex uh because john lou apparently had more uh background in that than would be comfortable with <laughs> Um, Uh it turns out this was autobiographical
0: we just learned this the other day
1: yeah and i think it later like like maybe he this was the idea and then he just went back to taiwan to make that a reality uh but but you know anyhow i would say this movie is kind of like i i am sympathetic to it i guess it's just that there there is a field of movie that exists and this and the, the finished product new york ninja unfortunately kind of slots in with it. For better or worse so i think once you know the story behind it you're more sympathetic to it but at the same time it does make it a difficult movie for me to like kind of sit into and go i really i'm really you know enjoy this i am having fun i was just kind of like it's just not mm-hmm. it's, it doesn't click for me in that way unfortunately but i but i very much admire the the work that was put in and i'm i'm, gr- I'm grateful i can see the footage you know and, and certainly there's some there's some mm-hmm. really like, God, the location. So I would mean, like any location footage. His film is, you know, obviously is a time capsule of a time and a place. There's so much great footage of 80s New York here. This grungy, run-down city that has been erased. that has been scrubbed out by gentrification and so on. You know, it's great that they recovered all of that stuff and put it out there, you know?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm kind of more on Jackson, I guess. it It feels, like, slightly off to me. Like, it was edited for it feels as much curated as it is like it, it feels like it was cobbled together for a very specific viewing group uh rather than necessarily to the direct intent of the original film uh i mean i i'm certain that the intent was to honor the original film uh obviously you don't go through this much labor to do otherwise but it, it's a sliding scale uh, where you can see a grizzly too as uh, an abomination of, of editing in in this <laughs> sort of project and you can see on the other end gone with the pope is is very clearly edited by a professional uh who is incredibly it feels like spiritually very indicative of what it was meant to be and what it would have been uh, at least if, if Duke Mitchell had the means to have it edited by someone uh, as you, a skilled you, as Marowski, get, You get the but, feeling
1: um, watching Gone with the Pope that, like, I feel like Duke Mitchell would have, like, high-fived Bob Morawski for some of the stuff right. he does in it. Like, yeah, I think there's a really interesting, like, across the decades kind of, like, team-building thing kind of happening there, which the other movies do not mm-hmm. particularly have.
2: Yeah, this one, I, it does just kind of by its very nature, I don't think that there's really any way to get around it, that it does end up feeling like sort of a, a comedy project, and it, it feels like it's it's kind of a gimmick, you know, and there's no, there's no way around that, I don't think, because mm-hmm. they had to do all this audio construction and stuff, and yeah, the end result, it's kind of like not an exceptional enough find, for me mm-hmm. to really like wholeheartedly embrace this sort of uncanny nature of it. Cause it, it doesn't feel like an authentic uh, movie of the era to, to an extent. It's,
0: it's uh, well, I mean, th- kind of the strange. other problem with it too is, and again, like I enjoyed this and gone with the Pope and I like it here, but it really does feel like there's two separate movies going on here because it's like, okay, John Liu's girlfriend is stabbed and killed. And then he fights all of the like comical, gangs that are roaming the streets of new york city and then somehow at some point it takes this turn into and then mr plutonium is doing some yeah. Trafficking. Yeah. yes <laughs> what the fuck and, and that <laughs> seems to be organic.
1: at least partially i mean there's footage of a man doing weird stuff to, like, make himself stronger and and exposing himself to something that makes his skin shed and things, which presumably is radioactive, Mm -hmm. it's glowy and stuff. Like, this is in the original film in some format. I don't know what exactly it was meant to be. But, yeah, it does... There's a weird disconnect in this movie between, yeah, like, the... And the gang in this are... Like, yeah, it's, it's like a street gang running wild in New York, so it's got that kind of, like, you know, vigilante approach but this street gang like honestly there's like Ngo G Castellari post apocalypse movies where everyone is dressed more normally than the street gang in this movie like there's literally this one scene where one of the gang members is wearing sunbed goggles and another member is just wearing <laughs> a chalk strap over his jeans and these guys are just supposed to be walking around New York City just being in a gang it's it's like one step up from like the the like, the 80s and 90s perfected the, like, uh, racially harmonious gang because they didn't want to offend anyone. So the gang is, like, the, all the colours of the rainbow, just this wonderful, like, social grouping of, <laughs> of weirdos. And in this one, they just, like, they're all just look a fashion victims. They're insane looking. But then, yeah, there's also a man who's exposing himself to radioactivity or something. And then he's got a henchman who's got the worst rat tail in hair styling history. It just looks it's incredible to see a rat tail that looks sickly because they all should look sickly (laughs) but this looks exceptionally sickly uh it's horrific and he's one of maybe the worst martial artist i've ever seen on screen but he has a whole fight with john lu where he does drunken sword style which is catastrophically bad from a choreography part of point of view, but absolutely my favorite part of the movie. Incredible to view it. And and most of it is just John Lu standing back and just watching. Because I think probably he was seeing at this point is like this. I don't know what I'm doing here. Um there mm-hmm. there are highlights certainly within the movie.
2: Yeah I'm it it's odd that it has like this weird like repo man element and also yeah it, it does in many ways feel like is this supposed to be, like, was he going for a Mad Max type thing? Are we supposed to be, like, post-apocalyptic? What? It's just, the plutonium man really really throws our wrench in the gears of this really (laughs) generic sort of kung fu movie, and you're like, I don't understand what the fuck is happening anymore, and that's all right, Uh, because it's at least kind of interesting, as opposed to, Again, the, the the choreography's not, and the plot of the mm-hmm. film is not, so I, I guess a good call to include The Plutonium Man, because it's the only thing in the movie that really engaged me, because I was like, what, what is this choice? What, what, what was the thought process here? What kind of movie is this supposed to be?
1: Yeah, it's it, uh, one one thing that I like about this film because they re, they reconstructed the plot, uh, obviously pretty much from scratch. They didn't know what it was going to be. Uh, I know the director also said he felt like there was no conclusion shot, like there's there's no definitive final fight in the movie, which is there still isn't. Um but but there are like certain plot things in it I think are really funny, and I do wonder if like honestly I I think they probably were meant to work that way cuz a key part in the opening sequence when his wife is killed is that she grabs a cufflink off the guy and she's holding the cufflink when she dies and that cufflink becomes you know a clue as to who killed her and then later on uh, John Lou sees the man wearing the cufflink and this is all in the footage so this is clearly like a, f- a link but it's also an insanely goofy concept because I mean cufflink are worn in a pair this dude lost a cufflink so did he he just kept wearing the one? Like, did this happen <laughs> later the same day? It certainly doesn't in what they've edited together. Does he just... He bought another... He loves his cufflink set so much he bought another one and now he's identifiable, you know? Like, there's these there's these lapses in it that are kind of fun when you realise they completely, like, made the movie from scratch. But also, probably that's... I can't see why else that footage would have been shot unless they were going for exactly that story element within it, you know? How he identified the actual mm-hmm. man who murdered his wife... But it it doesn't make any sense, even in any case. So, kind of a kind of a weird setup.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, well. I think we got to wrap things up. We're going a little oh, bit long. We should, we place, should so. yeah, we,
1: we should clarify just because we, we alluded to it earlier. So John Liu, yes, he made this film, and then oh yeah, we got to talk about him later. Later on, <laughs>
0: real quick. Later on,
1: <laughs> he is not involved in this. He apparently they did contacted him, and he kind of gave them the, like a thumbs up to finish this, kind of like good. But he is not in any way involved in it. He did not take any part in the reconstruction. The reason why might be because he lives very quietly in Thailand now because he was put on trial in Spain for sex trafficking, and he left the country. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and also maybe filmed a plane crash... I didn't know about this. I only found this just like doing some Google. I'd heard about the sex trafficking, which, you know, okay, that's pretty bad. Uh, you know, how do you, you know, you are you do sex trafficking. How do you get worse than that? Here's one thing you could do. Apparently, he was filming. He lived in Spain for like 10 years and uh, there he was making a movie there and a plane crashed nearby and he was one of the first people on the scene. So he filmed still burning corpses of people and then put it in a movie and, and then in the movie, also put in a caption saying, you know, with great resp- deep sympathies to the victims of this airline disaster. So basically, Johnny sounds like he's an enormous piece of shit. Uh,
0: mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, there you go. Well, and and he actually the, the reason he was able to escape from Spain was uh, while he was on trial. They uh, rightfully assumed he was a flight risk. So they stuck him in jail and he was like let out basically on parole because it was for good behavior. Cause he was teaching the other inmates to do cool karate moves. Uh, <laughs> and then they, they let him out and he just immediately fled to Thailand. So yeah, <laughs> I, I've, I've heard Oops. about the, I, I haven't seen the movie. Uh, I, I don't even know if it's available on disc anywhere at this point, but yeah, allegedly filmed a plane crash and burning corpses for real and also allegedly a sex trafficker, which I think he was even convicted and just fled before they could they could actually put it Yeah, uh, I think so. so.
1: The movie apparently is Ninja in the Claws of the CIA, which is also known as uh, Made in China. Made in China. Made in China. Yeah. Made I'm, in China. Not, I'm not familiar with it. I'm guessing if there's footage of actual plane crash-like stuff, probably not available in Spain, at least. Um, I've never yeah, seen a yeah. copy of it anywhere else. It's... Uh, Sounds like one of those movies. I'm not sure, you know. I feel like at this point, knowing what's in it, if I were to seek it out for any other reason, I just feel like I'm a piece of uh-huh. shit as well. So I'm probably just gonna leave that you, one you, go. Well,
0: I'll tell you what. Why don't I? Why don't I reach out to John Landis and see if he's got a copy? Disaster is his favorite.
2: I will say uh, there is in in where this accusation was was levied online. uh there was a link for, to to YouTube, uh, not to the complete film, but just to this scene. And yeah, so I, I, I've seen it. Uh, it's strange. I, I don't know, you know, I'm not, I'm not one. I don't know anything about the situation enough to like levy an accusation, but it, it, it could it could be legitimate. Yeah, it certainly
1: it certainly feels like one of those like movie magic like like Arnvovanius says, you know, did they use a real corpse for the eye gouging scene? Like one of those things that's like, you know, kind of on the, the cusp of is it, isn't it? But you know it, he definitely was tried for sex trafficking. So you know what the other stuff just feels like, you know, just extra shittiness on top, you know.
2: Also, I, yeah. I don't know that I get the sense of, of craft that I get from Vibenius <laughs> that, that, was, yeah, no, that well, I would really <laughs> buy that, that he was pulling this off. Of as as we've special.
1: discussed in previous episodes, Vibenius is a real filmmaker. John Liu, I think, was a talented martial artist uh, who probably should have had other people do his work for him, you know, behind yeah. the scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, as I say, it just never took off. So he, he decided, I mean, he was an industrious fellow, I guess. It just led him to a path of international crime.
0: <laughs> yeah yeah Guys it, is, it is crazy though because i mean john Liu, who loves he loves john Liu, and he plays the titular new york ninja but then if you look at the subplot of the evil mr plutonium it's it's literally just john like what john <laughs> Liu was convicted of in the 90s like he he shot this movie and then he's just like well i had to ditch the footage but what if i just do it you know it yeah, was that's not a insane. bad idea that's extremely that fucked up <laughs> <tough. laughs>
2: See, uh, maybe you should have consulted on this, film and told them to go a slightly different route with the. Uh, Is the the original
1: cut of this movie that New York Ninja also had sex trafficking business on the side? Like he was the hero, and also this was something he did. Like who,
2: who the hell (laughs) knows? Uh,
1: It's. I mean, maybe we could have just made him a
2: murderer and skewed the sex trafficking angle altogether. I'm sure they could cut around that?
1: But they they needed they needed a whole room full of. Uh, not not scantily clad women mostly just women wearing no. like just wearing the most insane outfits you've ever seen but a lot of them yeah, saying i like love new york girls ninja in, uh,
0: yeah they look like college girls in mismatched pajamas basically but, yeah
1: no it's insane the costuming in this movie is absolutely like it, more, far more bizarre than plutonium man that's kind of fine <laughs> honestly it's
0: Mr. Plutonium, sorry. So, Mr. <laughs> knowing that
2: they weren't working from any script, I do think it's quite amusing that it's got this whole, like, goddamn QAnon subplot or something where Interpol agent is, like, <laughs> masquerading as some guy who's who's got a, a wealthy clientele hungry for endless sex slaves <laughs> or something. I'm like, okay, well, there's it. That's something we wrote. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> oh, Lord. All right, let's wrap this thing up myros what are you putting over this week uh the only
2: thing i really watched i i finally got around to watching the last season of uh succession and um yeah i think it 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 sort of sticks the landing and i do think it's probably among the weaker uh stretches of the show uh based on some creative choices uh, made early in the season won't give anything away but uh yeah I, I it feel it was an odd watch to me at this point because what with the h b o obviously Warner is doing some very different things these days, and yeah you know, a lot of the last kind of bastions of if peak t v ever existed uh, of what what people describe that as in the last twenty years uh, it feels like it's the succession is kind of the last the last gasp of, of that movement and uh So yeah, it was uh, really interesting to visit it through that sort of lens and kind of feel like that strange melancholy that you always feel when you end a TV series that uh, it works for you magnified to an extent because it it really felt to me like watching the end of every TV series that I enjoy watching. (laughs) Yeah, you're officially out of them now. Yeah, well, yeah, I feel like... Are you going to go coming, back
0: yeah? and just, uh, you got going to watch Ted Lasso on a loop, just kind of fucking relive that shit over and over again, Mike? Yeah,
2: I, I don't think that that era of TV's ending, Steve. That's called the future. <laughs> it's just all Ted Lasso, all the I, fucking
0: I'm <laughs> curious about
1: Ted Lasso, because it seems like even the people who liked the, mo- the show originally, which seems unfathomable to me, even they're saying it's bad now, which... God only knows what achievements unlocked. Maybe I like it. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't think so. It sounds absolutely god awful. It sounds like they just removed any Mm. jokes, but all the bad stuff is still there.
0: Love it, love it. Well, Jack, uh, what what are you putting over this week? You know, I'm
1: Ted Lasso. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. I sadly not not got to that one yet. So someday, maybe maybe a Patreon will force us to uh, to watch it. Who knows? You know, <laughs> give us twenty five bucks and make us watch one season God. of Ted Lasso. No, I I was very lucky. I haven't been, haven't been watching a lot of movies of recent, but I was very lucky last week. Uh, my local theater, the Music Box, had a double bill of Mr. Vampire two and three. And it was a wow. fantastic night, uh, and I'm putting over but really the whole Mister Vampire franchise. It's really a lot of fun. I think I put over the first one a week or so ago because I I watched that recently too. Uh, but two and three are just really great, and they're they don't like there's no real story linkage between them. But basically, um. Two is kind of like a a zany comedy, but it's got a a small child vampire who they basically rip off E.T. shamelessly. And like a little girl discovers the lonely boy vampire and they dress him up and play with him. And there's like a joke where he like sneaks off into the blood bank to feed and then goes back out to play with the kids. Absolutely insane movie. Has an amazing scene with Yun Bao doing like an entire slow motion fight because they're all like doped up on sedatives fantastic and then mr vampire 3 is like just a special effects bonanza of like old school opticals and you know practical effects and just wild creative zany stuff really fantastic times uh so yeah you can eureka put them all out on blu-ray in the uk i'm not sure where you get them in the us but i hope someone might put them on disc they might be streaming somewhere if nothing else but uh all the whole mr vampire series there's five in the original, two, three, no, sorry, four in the original uh, series, I believe. And then there's like a whole world of spinoffs, which I'm I'm probably going to have to dive into. But yeah, Mr. Vampire, check them all out there. They are very entertaining. You will not be bored. If you are, you're the boring one, I
0: promise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I think uh, this week I'm going to put over the uh, brand new, well, brand new in, in terms of when it was released, I guess, but uh, there's a remake of System Shock. System Shock is great. Jack, have you played System Shock?
1: I have not. It's been on my list for the original one it has been on my list for years. I didn't even know they remade it. So I might check that out. It's,
0: it's good because uh, System Shock is a very Jack Eason ass game and it's a good game, but it's definitely one of those boomer shooters that you play and, and some of the more ambitious mechanics uh, have not aged particularly well. And some of that is, is still in this, this enhanced edition that they're putting out, but they smoothed over some things. Pretty cool. And it's made by Night Dive Studios, which, if you're going to remaster an old game, nobody does it better. So uh, it's in good hands. So, yeah, System Shock, go play it. Why haven't you played System Shock? What's wrong with you? Anyway, if you listen to this podcast right now, do us a big old favor. There is a link in the description of the podcast you are listening to. Now, what should you do? You should click the link. What happens when you click the link? It takes you to our Patreon, where you can give us money. And why would you want to give us money? Well, there's there's many benefits to you, dear listener. First of all, you get an entire catalog of exclusive Patreon content, written and audio, including a brand new Patreon episode. That's up now. And on top of that, if you donate at any level, I will send you in the mail from my personal collection, a movie of some sort, something. You'll get something. It probably won't even suck. I got enough good stuff in, in, the, in the give to pa- patrons pile right now that I can almost guarantee it won't be shit. Uh, on top of that, if you donate at a higher level, say $5, uh, you get even more. So you get to uh, vote on future episodes and polls and you also get your name read out on the air. Myros, who are our five and above patrons right now?
2: Uh, we have Sam, CWW, Evan, Ryan, Dustin, and Paula.
0: And God bless every single one of them. And then, of course, if you want to donate at that $25 level, whether it's just once or, or reoccurring, you actually get to pick an episode for us to do. You get to design an episode. Whatever uh, wonderful or horrific thing you want to expose us to, absolutely your choice. And uh, yeah, we've got a, we've got a patron episode coming up very soon. So uh, very, very exciting. So uh, yeah, give us $25. Why don't you? It'll be great. Other than that, if you have any questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, optimism at gmail.com, or you can tweet at us at optimism And we'd love to hear from you. And I think, I think that just about wraps it up. So Myros, who's your favorite ninja? What? Ni- the New York? You're supposed to say the New York ninja.
2: Well, that seems dishonest, man. I'm like a lie to our <laughs> listeners.
0: Should have no other ninjas before him. What? And and you're so indignant about the question. Like you could have said anyone else. Uh, you had like a digital uh,
2: blip there. It sounded like you said like ninja or something, and I'm like, what the fuck? What is he talking about?
0: Well, yeah, are actually... You, are you accusing me of, of saying Duke Mitchell's favorite word? Is that what you're trying to say?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I would not make any such accusation. Steve, my favorite uh, ninja... podcast gets an asterisk and an allegedly... Uh, saying, you know, that, yeah, it's all
1: that. Steve, my, my favorite ninja, since you, you also obviously want my way in on this, is definitely that woman mm-hmm. post who sang that video who sells Murphy beds that you shared, who's becoming yes. a ninja to kill her ex-boyfriend, I believe? Yes, you can post well, that she's video. She's not under. a ninja.
2: She wants to be a ninja. Yeah, but well, she's training. She, she is by the end of it.
1: She takes Chow yeah, down I to Chinatown. Adam, no, I mean, it's She's a ninja. Uh, you Wait, guys are it? so what's far behind again? that
2: we sound like ultra grandpas because this was like a viral thing like four years ago. <laughs> yeah,
0: whatever you know, never never crossed my. Eyes. Yeah. It's new to me yeah we're fucking boomers okay we like that we like the murphy bed ladies singing the ninja song whatever i'm just Be hoping next whoever week whoever's maybe.
1: listening to this is like what the fuck they've lost it finally this- they've lost it they have no idea
0: well I, that's good because you you either think you're either like what the fuck are they talking about or you're like why are they talking about like a meme from four years ago uh, <laughs> win-win but yeah that's <laughs> yeah we're all about the dusty memes here you guys you guys ever heard of uh of uh rebecca black Oh, interesting. That's just the end.